Step four is reminding yourself that you're on a little island of what we do know inside an ocean of what we don't know. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. Thanks for joining us. This is part two of our interview with Tim Urban. Tim has become one of the internet's most popular writers. With wry stick figure illustrations and occasionally epic prose on everything from procrastination to artificial intelligence, Urban's blog, Wait But Why, has garnered millions of unique page views, thousands of patrons, and many famous fans. His recent TED Talk has been watched almost 15 million times. Tim's articles have been regularly republished on sites like Quartz, The Washington Post, The Atlantic, Time, Business Insider, and Gizmodo. Tim was recently invited by Elon Musk to host SpaceX's launch webcast and was granted early access to information about SpaceX's interplanetary transport system. This episode is brought to you by Casper Mattress. Go to casper.com wolf and use the promo code wolf to save $50 off your purchase. And here's part two of our interview with Tim Urban. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Yes. Uh, I won't ask you to read the wolf parable because we did that last week. We will just go from there. And I want to talk about another of your posts that was uh, right along with procrastination was probably my favorite one. And I don't know that I even know the title of it, but you're talking about um, the consciousness staircase. And there's so many things in this that I love. But you start off by saying that for most of us, we don't have any real plan for self-growth. We don't really change in any meaningful ways. You list all the things that we go through and we do in our life and our day, and you ask, are we any happier? And your conclusion is, well, we're not really getting any happier. And so you looked at your own life and you said, I'd like to progress as a human but I don't really have a plan for that. So you started coming up with an approach and, and you said that the goal was to have wisdom. And then you went on to describe something called the consciousness staircase. Can you pick up from there for me? Yeah, sure. I kind of got into that post just by thinking about the fact that people who are atheists, you know, or agnostic or whatever they are, but it's not something specific. They, they think of that as, well, that that's, that's my belief system. That's what I do, you know, but it's not a belief system. You know, being an atheist, for example, is just not a certain set of belief systems that you're referring to. There's a group of belief systems and you are not those things. And that's all you are. I mean, that's that's not a thing. Right. right. It's like it's not a framework for, you know, what's right and wrong. It's not a framework for, you know, deciding how you're going to be as a thinker. It's not a framework for deciding how you're going to grow. I use the example of saying um, I don't like rollerblading as a workout strategy. It's not a workout strategy. What are you doing to get in shape? So. 
I realized that, you know, I think if someone's a very devout Christian, for example, I, I think that, you know, one thing that's nice about that is that it comes along with a lot of, um, you know, baked in strategies for how to live, how to grow. And there's a community that I think uh, can support that. You know, a lot of people that don't have kind of a system that already exists that they subscribe to, um, it's really important to kind of design your own uh, and to think really about what you actually want to change about yourself and what you think is important in people to change. And then to actually design something where you can almost like a track that you can measure where you're on on it and actually see how far you've come on it. Something where you can almost measure your growth and compare against yourself in the past and remind yourself you know, again, to use a Christian example, you know, you see the Jesus fish, the kind of what would Jesus do symbol. I think that's a great symbol. It's a pole to hang on to. It's, it's something that you can always come back to and say, you know, when you're feeling lost, when you're feeling in doubt, you can say, well, what would happen here? And then that guides you in a certain direction. Well, you know, again, I decided I needed kind of my own. So I came up with a framework that kind of gets to what uh, I think is important. And when I was doing my thinking about what is important for humans in general, as they try to grow, I, I thought about what I kind of called the consciousness staircase. And it's a reminder to me you know, that, you know, you look at those pictures of evolution and you see kind of the primates and, you know, apes progressively growing upright, and then they get to a human, that kind of that familiar image where um, a human's on the far end. And it seems like you're looking at that, you're like, we won, you know, we, we are at the top. Um, but that's not really true. We're in the middle of evolution. Um, and uh, you know, we, we consider, you know, uh, people talk about consciousness in different ways, but you know, it's a little bit, sometimes it's just semantics, semantic arguments happen, but I think we can argue that like, uh, you know, we are more conscious than a primate. Uh, we're more self-aware, we're more, we're more present in that moment somehow. Um, and the primate is more conscious than maybe a chicken primate kind of just is, a, is awake in a way more than a chicken is awake. And a chicken is awake. You know, if you're just, just looking at a chicken and how they, act. You know, they're awake more than maybe a beetle is awake. Uh, and that beetle might be awake more than a bacteria. So, so you can keep going. And, and there's uh, whether it's consciousness exactly or not that I'm talking about, there's some important thing I'm talking about is kind of just being awake and aware mm -hmm. of what's going on. And um, for example, a monkey tribe might, um, you know, kind of uh, attack another monkey tribe. And um, and it might be a lot of really a, you know, gruesome scene, murder and stuff. And I think um, they're less likely to kind of pause and feel empathy and feel regret and feel, you know, remorse for that. They're just, they're, they're just one notch kind of less uh, aware of how bad they just did is. And humans are in, in a different way, but we still murder people. I mean, we're not totally there. Like we're, we're, and it's just kind of going back to what we talked about in part one, there are these two wolves. There's not just one. And I think a future species, uh, you know, a more evolved version of us could be much more, uh, the rational, wolf and much less the ant primitive animal wolf. And there could be a species that, of course, would never go to war and never murder and never feel pettiness or jealousy and would never be greedy or, you know, really selfish or, you know, short-sighted. And you would never brag and we would never, you can just go on and on about all these things that make no actual rational sense to do. And we do them because, you know, it's the bad, it's the worst side of ourselves, all these things. And I believe that's the kind of the animal side of ourselves. And because we're a combo of these things, I think that a, a species that was uh, just absent of the animal side would look at us the way we look at a monkey. They would kind of want to pat us on the head and say they're, they're doing pretty well. But of course, they're not as awake as we are. They do think they're in a, a bit of a delusion a lot of the time. They're kind of in an animal delusion that makes them act a certain way that maybe on their deathbed, they look back and regret. And they don't see it at the time because they're just not fully awake. And I really think that humans in that regard are 
it's almost like, you no, know, they would see us as a three-year-old, you know, we're, we're kind of in the blur of emergence into full sentience and we're not quite there yet. And so knowing that made me realize that, well, but we're not all three years old. Some of us, you know, maybe the, the human beings are capped at being, you know, seven or something, you know, in terms of how that species would view us. But some of us are maybe two or one at the way we act versus seven. And so we don't have all the leeway. We're not going to be able to, to uh, overcome our animal selves entirely because that's not possible. We are That's half of who we are. We're not going to be able to be a totally rational, totally empathetic, completely grown up person, but we can be more or less grown up. We have still a range that humans vary in. And I think about that. I realize that, you know, yeah, I think that there is a real concept of being a grown up and it does not correlate with age. It doesn't. I know 11 year olds that I think are just kind of wiser people than some 55 year olds I know. You know, they just seem to be a little bit more self-aware. And I certainly know you know, 20 year olds that I think are far wiser than 55 year olds. But then I know a lot of 55 year olds who I think are tremendously wise, who I admire and I try to be more like. So I just think it depends on how much you've grown and how in control you are of kind of your animal side and how kind of aware you are of your animal side. That's what makes someone a grown up. And I believe that grown ups achieve a lot more in life. I think they're better people. I think they spread happiness a lot more than they, than they spread misery. I think that they are much, much happier people. I think they're better parents. I think they're better friends. I think they have fewer regrets on their deathbed. And I think, you know, almost everything that someone could want or want to change about themselves probably is fixed or is, is, is helped by becoming more of a grown up. I designed a mini staircase, which is kind of if humans are on one step of the consciousness staircase, this is kind of the little mini staircase within that step. It's the range humans can kind of manage to go up and down. And to me, that feels like it's being more or less conscious of ourselves and in control of our inner self. So I think the procrastination discussion, for example, is one of many, many, many parts of this battle that goes on in our heads. And I think it's, 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 it's the balance of power in this battle in our heads that determines kind of where we are on this little mini staircase. And so I, even just looking at step one versus step two, for example, uh, if there's just say three or four steps total on this mini staircase, step one and the lowest step is where we are a lot of the time. And it's where we are just the animal in us is running the show. We're feeling its emotions. We're, we're, we're short-term thinking like the animal. And it's not just procrastination. It can make us hate people that don't look like us or that don't think like us. It can make us terrified of what other people think. It can make us want to fit in so badly that we give up our agency. We give up our independent thought, which is the most precious thing we have. We give up our independent identity and we just try to conform and we believe what we're supposed to believe. And and all these things that, that just make us, as I said, not great people, people that I re- don't respect and that, and I'm often being like that. When someone, when I see a, a someone I'm acting on step one, I respect them a little less. I kind of think that they're not very wise. I don't, if I'm on step one myself, I might even dislike them and kind of, you know, or, you know, really just think something bad about them. If I can get onto step two, where I suddenly have a much bigger awareness of what a human is and that everyone's just going through this struggle and everyone's just trying to be happy. Well, first of all, I'm not going to judge that person harshly. I'm going to say, you know, if someone's acting kind of, you know, maybe they're being racist or maybe they're being just nasty to someone or maybe they're just being a bad friend. I'm going to just see that with compassion. I'm going to say, look, this person is is struggling. This person doesn't, you know, doesn't see what they're doing. And uh, and likewise, I'm less likely to be like that in any of those ways. I'm, I'm much more likely to be, um, to just be wise. And that's to me, you know, wisdom and kind of being a grown up 
are the same concept and they correlate with how high you can be on the staircase. And that little staircase for me, that little drawing I did of it, simple little staircase to me is that's my Jesus fish, my what would Jesus do? Any moment in the day, I can look at that and it, it'll help me be a better person in that moment. Uh, it, it'll help me be a more effective person, a happier person, a more in control person. Uh, just because it reminds me that I might be being on step one without realizing it. Because part of being on step one is you don't realize you're on step one. You remember that there is a step one when you're there because you're kind of in the fog. You're the, the grasp of your animal self and the animal is not that conscious. And that's who's running your brain right then. So you can't see what's going on. And only later can you look back. Sometimes only on your deathbed can you look back and see, you know, wow, I really messed up at something. And, you know, the earlier you can realize that, of course, the better. Yeah, you referred to being on step one, you said it there, as in the fog. And that when you're in the fog, you don't even usually know it, right? And that sometimes all it takes to move to the to the step two, which you refer to step two as thinning the fog to reveal context, is that all you have to do is become conscious of the fog in that sense, or become conscious that you are uh, on step one. And I find that to be so true. And I think it's why this idea of awareness is something that comes up a lot on the show. And I refer to a lot as the idea of like, I have to stop and have some ability to see that I'm in the fog. I think this is why this idea of distancing ourselves from our thoughts, being able to observe our brain is so important, because that's what it's doing. It's, it's helping to thin that fog. Exactly. I think I could never put my finger on it, just why meditation was so effective for me, even though, of course, because I have a monkey in my head, I never do it. But when I do do it, um, I find that I come out and I'm just like, I don't know, I feel more adult. I feel more in control. And part of that is the fog relies on you basically not pausing to look at it. It just re- relies on you being totally unself aware, unconscious. And meditation just kind of forces, I think, some fog to clear. And you come out and you can just see what's going on in your brain a lot better. And and when you look at it, you can suddenly say, wait a second, and you can kind of take control of what's going on. The thing I refer to as the fog is kind of, it's all of these animal feelings and emotions and desires and, you know, uh, impulses inside of you kind of, you know, there's all different kinds of them. Again, there's the, there's the animal that wants to fit in. There's the animal that wants to procrastinate. Uh, there's the animal that uh, is going to sabotage you when you go on to do a public speaking thing. It's going to make you extra nervous in that moment. And there's all these animals that are all in the end, just they're not evil. They just care about animal, primitive animal survival. They think you're in 50,000 BC and they want to survive. And they don't understand that you're even in a modern world and they don't understand what that is. And they just want to, you know, so they get so scared public speaking because embarrassment in 50,000 BC was the worst thing that could ever happen to a human because, you know, you're, you're suddenly you're 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 not as cool and your status isn't as, as high in that tribe. And that's everything to you because now you're not, you know, you're not going to, you know, get the, the mate you want and you might not, you know, end up in, in with the chief as well. I mean, and that's really dramatically bad for you. I mean, and, and yep. if you're survival and survival of your genes, so your animals are just trying to help you survive. And they, unfortunately we live in a world where they're not that helpful right now. They are in most of the time they're actually really hurting us without realizing it. The influence of those animals, the voices and the emotions of those animals form this fog that just kind of can ebb and flow in our head when the animals, when we're, when we're feeling a survival instinct, because either we're feeling, you know, embarrassed or we're feeling in love or we're feeling, you know, um, bitter or jealous or scared, um, the, the fog is going to get thick. And I mean, it's, it's going to, it's going to, these animals are going to really, you know, start to get going. And when they get going and the fog gets thick in your head, it A, takes over your behavior, your thoughts, your emotions. So it actually affects what you do. 
but then it has this second thing in that it actually makes you unconscious. So you can't see that you're in the fog. You don't realize what you're doing. You don't see how bad it is until later. And that's why sometimes you do something and you look back and you cringe at yourself later, something you said, uh, you know, or, or, or a certain way you wore, or you just feel bad. You know, you, I, I use the example of you never call your grandparent and then they die and suddenly, boom, the fog disappears and you look and you can see reality and you say, what was I doing? Why did I not spend more time with them? Uh, and it's this tragedy that happened because the fog of your everyday life and procrastination, because I'll just deal with that some other time, and this unconscious animal who didn't think hard enough about what was going on uh, took you over and now it's too late. Um, that's why you know, on people's deathbed, it clears all the fog. No, no, I say that nothing clears fog like a deathbed. And we don't want to have these as deep regrets at the end. We want to have them as epiphanies, helpful epiphanies um, now. And, you know, I, I just, even myself, like the every day, even procrastination is, a, it's not just a struggle, it's a fog. And that yep. sometimes you're in the dark playground and you're, you're, you are aware of what's going on, but a lot of the time I'm in the dark playground, but I don't have the level of like serious, like darkness I should about that moment. Cause I'm really, really messing my, I'm, I'm, you know, just screwing myself over. But at the time I'm kind of like, Oh, I should. And I just kind of being casual. And then I get in bed at night and I just suddenly, anxiety, panic, and I just lying there, can't sleep, and I'm tossing and turning, looking at the thing, what did I do today? I can't believe how little I got done today. Oh my God. And then I like I can't sleep and freak out. And sometimes I'll wake up and pound three hours of workout at two in the morning because I'm such that's a crazy behavior. But what's happening is because at night I'm lying there in bed and this fog isn't there. Uh about at least about my schedule. Right. Um and the day it was, it was just there. I was just kind of puttering around. The light was out. I was having my coffee, ch- chatting with my friends and then looking on social media and I'm just kind of in a good mood. And I know I should be doing it, but it's kind of fine. I'm in this fog this totally unconscious fog where I'm not just looking at reality and stopping and saying, what will happen if I continue this? How will I feel tonight? And if I just had that thought, I would suddenly say, oh my God, okay, I need to right now, but you don't, you know? So, and and then you can have another kind, you know, just speaking of night, you know, a lot of people have another kind of fog at night when they suddenly get in that late night zone in bed and think, oh God, I'm the most embarrassing person in the world. Oh, I'm a huge failure. What did I do? Why did I say this? What am I doing with my life? You know, some people get into that zone really hard at night. Yep. That's another kind of fog. It's like the animals all kind of like come in and have like, you know, the little fit in your head all at the same time or a few different, a real fear animal, you know, a fear and a, and a shame animal. And uh, these other animals come in your head and start going crazy at night and you wake up in the morning and now you have a different kind of clarity in the morning where you look back and you say, what? You're kind of in the shower, you're thinking, I, I'm fine. This is fine. This is, nothing is a big deal. I was uh, just just being, a, I was catastrophizing because you were in this fog, but in, you don't realize in the night you think it's real because you're not conscious enough to see that you're just in some fog, some animal, you know, chemical fog. As I mentioned earlier, our sponsor on this episode is Casper Mattress, and Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. And the mattress industry has kind of forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups, and Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and then passing that savings on directly to the customer. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. 
It combines supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. If you get a chance to lay down on one of these things, I highly recommend it because they're really amazing. There's over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, so it's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Uh, you can get free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada, which if you think about shipping a mattress and or having to return one, that's an extremely tantalizing offer. You can try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home, and then if you don't love it, they just pick it up and refund you everything. It's designed, developed, and assembled in the USA, and I'll remind you how you find it. You go to casper.com slash wolf and use the promo code wolf, W-O-L-F, and you'll save $50 off your purchase. And here's the rest of the interview with Tim Urban. You talk about revealing context, and I think that is so important. Like that example of nighttime, right? The reason that gets so bad at night is there's no context. There's just you in this dark room and... And if you can get some context, things look differently. And I think the same thing with, with being in that other fog. And, and I agree with that. We spend so much of our time on what, you know, I refer to it as autopilot. I mean, I started this show to a large degree to get myself off of autopilot. I thought, you know what, if I interview people every week, then I'll have to read their stuff. And it'll just keep these kind of ideas in the forefront of my brain. Because left to my own, I'm just going to kind of spiral off into into a, a bad place. And so just being able to thin the fog, being able to just stop. And, and a lot of times I'll just stop. I've got this little thing where I, like, if I can remember, it's like I stop. I ask myself, where am I? Like, literally pay attention. What am I doing? Literally. And then is it what I want to be doing? And for me, every once in a while, that can interrupt solitaire if I can get, if I can get that thought. Yeah, right. So... Let's talk about the other parts of the mini human staircase, which is step three you call woe moments. Yeah. So step one is, you know, you're just, you know, small minded, childish, and you're, you're in the fog, um, on self-aware and all of those things. Step two is you thin the fog. You know, you're still in some level of deep, you know, uh, fog. But it's, it's much thinner, and you can actually see context. You can see around and behind. And I use the example of, you know, a cashier is just rude to you. And um, on step one, you just, you're rude back or you hate the person. Whatever, what a dick. On step two, it just makes no sense to be angry. You don't even know this person. It's a rando in the world, and you're just getting a glimpse of probably a pretty unhappy moment in their lives. Like, they're going through something. Maybe they had a bad morning, or maybe they had a bad childhood, or maybe someone in their life is sick, or maybe they're going through a breakup. Who knows? You have no idea, but you're aware that you have no idea. And you're aware that it's not about you. And so you're just, it makes no sense to be rude, because when you look at the context, you say, oh, well, it's not my problem. Like, uh, I hope they get better, or like, I'm just going to ignore them. Um, on step one, you're like, you take it personally, which makes no sense at all. And you think you know a lot about them. You think this is a bad person. They don't like me. They don't like people like me and screw them. And this is the problem with the world. And you get in this like totally you know, uh, irrational zone. And still on step two, there's still a level of delusion going on and that you kind of just look up the blue sky and you think about life and you think, you know, yeah, I'm just like here in this nice land with the blue sky and, and full reality, full clear of fog reality. Um, is actually quite extreme, which is that you're not really in a land with a blue sky. Like you are on a tiny rock in the middle of billions of light years of nothingness floating around 
a ball of plasma. I mean, it is so bizarre, the actual thing that's really going on. And so for me, it's the moments when that hits you, when true reality hits you, when it hits you that you're a bunch of atoms uh, and that you're kind of, they formed this com- complex structure that's like a growth on this almost like mold on a rock and, you know, or moss. It's like this growth on this planet is this, you know, life and, and has these little, little critters going around that, that are, that are made of atoms and you're just one of them and you're here for a short amount of time and it's this giant universe and the times you can absorb that sometimes it's a beautiful exciting moment sometimes it's a terrifying moment but you know you realize it hits you really hits you that you're going to die for the rest of eternity or it hits you that you the universe is like so unbelievably large that it's like it starts to, the, the actual scope of it starts to hit you or time how old the planet is how much time there has been or the fact that time itself is a construct in our head it's actually it's an element of space time it's this fabric and space and time are one thing and again you can say these things even right now i'm saying these things but i'm not having a moment i'm you know i, I may be getting closer but it's there's certain moments when you think about it and you're in a certain zone you think about it long enough or hard enough um, or you're on some drug that's helpful, or you're with the right person, the right conversation, or it's the right time of night, but it just, it like really hits you for a second. It's an experience versus a thought. Yes. I, I compare it to, you can look at pictures of the Grand Canyon forever, uh, and that's great, but when you're there, it's just different. It's just, it hits you in a more emotional, deeper way, and it's the same thing. Like, just talking about these things is like looking at a picture of the Grand Canyon. A moment moment's like being there for a second. I don't think many humans can hold on to a true moment that long, which makes sense. Our brains are not wired to absorb that kind of reality. That's not their job. Uh, their job is to survive in a tribe in the animal world on the earth. And so a lot of this delusion we have is part of what our brains are meant to do. It's what they're wired to do because it's helpful for survival. Knowing the truth about reality is not helpful. If anything, it might be unhelpful. So um, our, our, we're not good at it. But we have the capacity to, you know, that a monkey does not have. Because, again, we're high enough in this staircase, we can touch that stair. We can touch it for a second. Another species that's more advanced might be able to live on it all the time. We can just touch it for a second. But I think it's a very powerful thing. In that moment when I touch it for a second, when it, maybe it's a starry night and I look up and it just hits me, what I'm looking at hits me. I'm looking at stars that are incredibly huge and far away. And that's just a little piece of this. And I can see the band of the Milky Way. In those moments, it does something to you. And it can last for a little while. And, and it puts you in a very, I think, wise place. I think a lot of the time, at least. Just that, that moment, I feel personally like in awe of, of everything in that moment. And small and just I feel like I'm lucky to be here. And I just want to like get on my knees and like, you know, like put my hands to the heavens. And it's like, wow, I feel like I feel legitimately like spiritual in that moment. And then, you know, you go back to the cashier example. If on step one, you're rude back to the cashier, you hate him. On step two, you have compassion for the cashier. You, you, you also understand that it's nothing to do with you and you just let it, let it go by or you try to make them feel better or whatever. On step three, you're thinking about the fact that you are a collection of atoms that have formed this center of, of seeming consciousness for a brief moment in, in vast space and time, you know, here you are. And the cashier is another collection of atoms at the same exact time in the same exact space. And, and it forms almost the same exact thing. 
and you just want to hug them and say, Oh my God, you know, like we're here. Uh, like, wow. Hi. You know, and it's just, and, 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 and you just want to, you just want to love everyone and you don't, your ego disappears and you just want to, you don't care about yourself any more than you care about other people. And you just want to, you just want to help anyone and you want people to be happy. And it's like, you have this moment when you're truly like, and I said, if I, if I could be there often, I could be like a monk somewhere, you know, but I'm not, which is why I'm not a monk. But like, I feel like it's like, you know, in those moments, I'm like, you, you, you really can feel like, you know, I get what it would be like to be a real like enlightened Buddhist for a second, you know, and you just feel it. So suddenly everything is so obvious. You have utter clarity. It makes you real. It's it, you're, you, you have no choice, but to be wise. You would never in that moment when you're feeling that way, you would never be, you know, petty about something. You just wouldn't, you would never be greedy about something in that moment. You wouldn't, you could never hate anyone in that moment. You couldn't not because you're being nice because it makes no sense. None of those emotions make any actual sense. They're just there because the fog is there. So the fog is just wiped away in that moment. A one woman just like puffs it right out of the room and you can just see the animals for what they are and they're silly and you realize that and they have no power over you in that moment. And then because you're a human, you will inevitably drift right back down to where you were. You will. But I do think that one moment, it sticks with you somewhere. A little piece of it sticks with you. And, you know, every time you have that, I think you become a little bit wiser forever, just a little bit. So I think a little piece sticks with you. And I think it's really good to have those moments. The goal for me, this kind of growth is not, is not to end up on step three all the time, because I don't think that's possible for a human. And I don't think that's almost desirable because I'm not sure you can really connect with humanity or really work on your career or anything, you know, on that <laughs> step because you suddenly wouldn't, you know, I'm, at least right now I, I, I find that to be not desirable. I'd like to be on step two. I like to be in the delusion that this world matters and I'm here with this blue sky and everything's nice and sunny and I'm sitting here getting my work done and I'm being nice to people and whatever. Step two is a great place for me to be, but I like to get on step three sometimes because it helps me with the step one versus step two battle that I'm in all the time, that we're all in all the time. And I think the goal is never to be even permanently on step two. That's not possible. The goal is to be on step two more often than you're on step one and more often than you were on step one last year. And if you're, if you're step two to step one ratio is going up every year, even just a little bit, you're doing great. You know, you're growing. And for me, that's my growth framework. That's excellent. Let's finish it up real quickly with step four. We don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but I do think it's important and, and a useful concept. Yeah. So I, I think so we keep kind of going to another iteration of clarity of reality. You know, you clear the context around the social context or whatever. And that's one level has just been the fog's been cleared and you can see, you know, another kind of another second dimension of reality. And then then you remember that you're on a rock floating in the sky or floating in that the sky floating in the middle of nothing. You, you clear away a whole other layer of fog and you have a whole new layer of clarity. Um, step four for me, if there is a step four, I think it is, you know, if there's another, cause there is another level of clarity you can clear, which is reminding yourself that even when you think about the universe and space time and atoms and, you know, planets and stars, we don't really know what the hell is going on at all. We don't know what the universe is. You don't even know what the universe is. It could be a blip inside of a much larger thing, some kind of multiverse type thing, or it could be the end all and be all of everything. If you don't know that information, you have to remind, 
if you just think about that for a second, you realize like we're, we're in a total cloud of delusion if we think we understand reality. We don't know what is going on. Yep. Again, I'm, I started this post by saying I'm an, I'm an atheist when it comes to the Bible and the Quran and the Torah because those things are written by people and those people don't know anything more than I do. In fact, reading those things, you can tell that those people were on step one a lot when they wrote those things. And so I'm an, certainly an atheist about those. But when you start thinking about step four, which to me is reminding yourself that everything we do know is a tiny piece of the full picture. Step four is reminding yourself that you're on a little island of what we do know inside an ocean of what we don't know. And that fact is yet another kind of like, whoa, okay. It's like, it's the only thing that makes sense is like utter, utter humility in that moment. You're just like, you're just, you're, you're just a molecule floating around an ocean you don't understand. And so, so that, that I think does a further thing to a human. It kind of, it's just a whole different level of, uh, of clarity about how unclear things really are. Like, and so this is when I realized I'm a total agnostic, not about the books. The books are not true. I'm an agnostic about reality. I mean, how did we get here? Could it have been a creator? Of course. Could it have been some, some more intelligent species created us as an experiment? Of course. Could it have created, not created us, created the first life on Earth? I mean, I believe in evolution, of course. The first life evolved into us. But how did that get here? I don't know. We don't know. Maybe life spontaneously starts. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe something else did that. You know, you realize I just don't know what the hell is going on. Uh, could we be in a simulation? This is this gets to another topic. But I mean, it, when you start thinking about that for a second, you think, well, if intelligent species make super intelligent species exist, A, and B, if they make simulations, this is a Nick Bostrom kind of argument. If they sometimes make simulations, well, they could make a trillion simulations then. One, one hacker, one, one computer geek can make a, tr- a trillion of them. Meaning there's going to be far more simulation civilizations out there than there are real ones, meaning highly likely we are in a simulation. So you can go down that path. We're some instant gratification monkey solitaire game. Exactly. Exactly. Someone is so self-loathing right now. Someone is so self-loathing out there because they made us and this is the last thing they had time to do right now. (laughs) <laughs> like they have to go get their their uh, their tux ironed and like this is a, exactly so it's uh when, when you realize that you just all you can have is humility and I think again some people I think will step three and, and step four will make them feel scared and bad uh, especially if they uh, currently believe in you know some more specific good story like an afterlife or something. Uh, and then th- this is going to, you know, make them feel like that might not be true or that probably isn't true. And that's going to feel really bad for me as a kind of atheist type person. Uh, I think it feels great because I'm like, step three feels great because I don't know, I just feel an awe. And I realize like, you know, who am I? Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me to care so much about my own life and death because like this thing is awesome and huge. And I'm just like, it's cool that I'm here. And step four really makes me feel okay because I'm like, uh, you know what? I, I, before I thought about step four, I might have said there's a zero percent chance my consciousness has any chance to like live on, and you know, more than I thought it would. And now suddenly on step four, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what the hell is going on. I really don't. I don't know what is going on. You know, maybe I'm the only consciousness, and every other person is just an illusion in my head, or maybe I'm an illusion in someone else's head. And I, I it's just when I don't, when you start not knowing even what you are, you, I think you care a little bit less about. Like it chills me out a little bit, and it, and it kind of I think, uh, and certainly makes me less petty and less step one E to think about step four. And it makes certainty, you know, of any kind, especially certainty about stuff we don't know and what other, you know, what's going on in other people's heads or certainty about what's right in politics or what's right in, in whatever. 
just makes it seem so ludicrous in that moment. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of uh, the extreme version of beginner's mind that they talk about in Zen. But I think when we recognize we don't know everything, it it opens us up to so many different things. And it's something I have to struggle with because it's I can get very attached to what I think I know. And and so remembering like as a species, we've got very little of this figured out is is comforting to me also. I think that when it comes to just like your thinking process, if you think about what you think versus how you think, we place way too much emphasis on what we think and what other people think. And, you know, people who change their mind a lot and say they don't know, we think of them as wishy-washy or flip-floppers or wafflers. We have all these bad words for those people. You know, certainty is respected. It makes no sense at all. I, mean, I agree. Instead, be valuing how people think. And when you're thinking really, really highly, when you're thinking well, um, you're constantly uncertain. You're being a scientist type thinker. You're starting place and ending place or humility. And you're just trying to get a little bit more knowledge than you had before. And um, that's the wise place to be in yet because we're step one people. We are very often on step one where we, we care about what people think. We don't care how they got there. We don't care if they're just repeating what someone else said. Do they think the right thing? Good. I like them. They're smart. Yep. Uh, and, so, you know, and, and it's a completely illogical uh, way to look at that. I agree 100%. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on. I've had a great time with this conversation. I had a great time, like I said, preparing for it. We'll have links to your web page and your TED Talk and different things in the show notes. But thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you uh, so much for having me on. Been a pleasure. Okay. Bye. All right. See you later. If what you just heard was helpful to you, please consider making a donation to the One You Feed podcast. Head over to oneyoufeed.net slash support.